All right, before I, uh, I forget, uh, let's call the men out. If you are of the male persuasion, stand up for a minute. Come on, let's get all the men up. All the men up, up, up. Men. Oh, you want, yeah, okay. Wow. That is so sweet. All, that was really sweet. Did you notice what happened right there? You guys started standing up and all the women just started just cheering for you. <laughs> are, you are we done? We're done. That's it. Come on, it's getting even better than that? Gosh. Hey, guys, tomorrow night, 8 to 9 p.m., we're going to gather tomorrow in the chapel. Tomorrow night, chapel, 8 to 9 p.m., I want to invite you. Uh, we just been following the breadcrumbs of the Holy Spirit just about a couple months ago. It was a random, spontaneous thing. We just started gathering Last time we met, like 200 guys are showing up, we're praying. It's one hour of praying for each other, praying for God's revival in our lives, in our families, in our city, in our teams, in our friends. One hour. Put the kids down, finish up your homework, whatever, and come join us. No matter how old or young, if you're new and it's your first time, come join us. You're welcome. All right, Andy Vick, I hope to see you there, my man. Yeah, brother, yeah, brother. Me and this guy right there, we prayed together for 20 years, meeting every other week, and I'm just taking that and just inviting you all into that. So come and join us, and let's meet together. God is moving. Come be a part of it. See you tomorrow. Thank you, guys. Yeah. All right. How about Easter last week? Yeah. How about it? Easter. Gosh. There was a moment uh, when I finished the message, we gave the call, and I jumped down from the stage because people had come forward in response to the message, and uh, it was a group of young women, and there was a friend of theirs that had just come to, you know, just out of, out of uh, the courage of her friends to invite her. So she came, and she received Jesus Christ Amen. as her Savior and Lord, and she was, you could just, I know, you, you could just see the radiance in her countenance. You could just see something had happened in her. And I go, we prayed, I jumped down, I prayed for her, and I said, what are you going to do now? And she stunned me with what she said. She said, I am going to go get in that ocean and get baptized right now. No, I go, do you have a wetsuit? She's like, no wetsuit, I don't care. I'm like, oh, okay. Don't stop, don't get in her way. So praise God. There's so many stories like that. But did you know that uh, for 40 days after Jesus' resurrection, he was continually revealing and appearing to his disciples? Did you know that? For 40 days, Jesus was showing up in sometimes kind of like, you know, peekaboo, I got you kind of ways. Like, no joke, like they would be hiding out in a room, afraid, as we saw last week. And Next thing you know, Jesus is in their midst, and they're like, whoa, and you, you just the authenticity of these records are seen in just the disciples' own lack of expectation that Jesus was going to do that, and their fear. There was a moment where they're walking on a road, two guys, and Jesus is with them. There's 40 days of Jesus with the disciples, over 500 witnesses had these personal encounters with Jesus resurrected, over 500 people saw him resurrected, and he was teaching them about the gift and the promise of God that was coming. 
And I want to read it to you because it's going to kick off our series right now. Jesus said this, but I tell you the truth, it is better for you. Can everyone say better? better. No, this is crazy. But Jesus said, it is better for you that I go away. For if I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. How is that even possible? I mean, is that not mind-blowing? Number one, how is it possible for Jesus to leave and for someone better than Jesus to replace him? Think about what Jesus is saying here. Someone is going to replace him, and it's going to be better. I ought to get your attention. That's mind-blowing. What is better? How could it be better? And then secondly, he talks about this person, this advocate, who is going to come to us. Now, on the 50th day after Jesus' resurrection, uh, the early church experienced what we call today Pentecost. It was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon this ragtag group of men and women, and they were transformed from a group of huddled, fearful, insecure people to a force and a movement that overturned the Roman Empire, secular sociologists still marvel at this little sect that overturned the world. Because see, these men and women were filled with the Holy Spirit. And there was an infusion of boldness, an infusion of joy that was so contagious that people wanted what they saw others had. And they were willing even to lay down their life to have that joy, that goodness, that presence of God. And so the church was born, the world was changed forever. Pentecost falls this year on May 28th. May 28th, it's in your calendars, put it in there. So we're going to spend time meditating and deepening our understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and how the Holy Spirit works in our life. Because Jesus said, it is better that I go. So in what way is it better that the Spirit has come? And my hope is through this series that we're going to increase our awareness as we put attention on the person of the Spirit. And by putting our attention on the Spirit, we're going to grow in our receptivity to the Spirit because where we put our attention is where we are most receptive. And my hope is that you will grow in just your awareness of the Spirit, your capacity to recognize and cooperate and align your life with the Spirit. And my hope also is to clear the deck from any past wounds or hurts or misconceptions about the person of the Spirit that has crept into our life by unfortunate moments where maybe people have misrepresented the Spirit, like a friend of mine who went on a retreat and they kept hitting her in the back of the head until she started praying in tongues. And people have had experiences that have grossly misrepresented the Spirit. The fear that, oh, we're talking about the Spirit now, now things are going to get weird and awkward. <laughs> oh. No, we're going to see that when the Holy Spirit is front and center and moving in our life, the joy, the contagious, winsome, magnetic presence of Jesus starts to fill our life. The peace of Christ, the wisdom of God, the gentleness, the generosity of Jesus begins to touch our life, and we taste the goodness of God and not just hear about it. Could you use some of that in your life? Come, Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we welcome you and receive you. Help us to put aside our fears, our doubts, our false misconceptions, and 
Holy Spirit, we just pray that you would come again and just clear the deck and give us a fresh understanding of who you are and a fresh openness to your leadership and influence in our life as you glorify the Father and point to the Son in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here we go. So here's what we're going to do today to kick off this series. We're going to talk about that this, three things. Number one, that the Holy Spirit is God, that the Holy Spirit is personal, and thirdly, the Holy Spirit is the one who energizes and empowers us to have a personal relationship and experience with God so that the God that we read about here leaps off the page and ex we experience this same God in our own life personally. Because as good as God is here, he's even better here when we are tasting him for ourselves. All right, so here we go. I want to read to you a scripture. It comes from John chapter 15. This is, this is Jesus' own words about the Holy Spirit. And he says this, When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will what? He will, that's right, he will testify about me. Now, packed into this one verse is books of theological reflection on who the Holy Spirit is in relationship to Jesus the Son and to God the Father. And I want to start to unpack it for you right now. Uh, first, the Spirit is God. All right, so all throughout the New Testament, we see passages just like this one that Jesus uttered where you see three people in a moment that have an absolutely unique relationship to each other in a kind of dynamic that is absolutely unique. We see the Father, we see the Son, and we see the Spirit in a kind of dance. And we see this dance all through the New, all through the Bible, and particularly through the New Testament. Like when Jesus was baptized, you remember that in Mark, when Jesus was baptized and he was coming up out of the water, who descended like a dove? the Holy Spirit. And do you remember the voice that spoke over him? The voice of the Father declaring, this is my son whom I love. When we are sent out to baptize people as new disciples, we baptize them in the singular name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, what is up with this unique relationship between the Father, Son, and Spirit? Well, early um, Christian theologians had a word for it. They called it perichoresis. And it was a way of just trying to wrap their mind around the indwelling, the mutual indwelling dance between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The Father is in the Son. The Son is in the Father. The Spirit is in the Son. The Son is in the Spirit. Now, in this passage, Jesus calls him by name advocate. Now, advocate, let's be very clear, is the Holy Spirit. Jesus even says so in that verse. He says, the spirit of truth. Secondly, the spirit comes from the Father, get this, comes from the Father and is sent by the Son. Now, that phrase, comes from the Father, also is the way that Jesus describes his divinity and unique relationship to God. Look at this, John 16, uh, 28. I, Jesus, came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. This is his unique relationship to the Father. And the same relationship that Jesus has to the Father, the Spirit has to the Father. So if you were to read 
John, the Gospel of John, chapters 14 to 16, you would see this dance between the Father, Son, and Spirit. Jesus, you would see Jesus comes from the Father. The Spirit comes from the Father. Jesus sends the Spirit. Get this, the Father sends the Spirit. Jesus seeks to glorify the Father. The Spirit seeks to glorify the Son. Jesus testifies to the Spirit right here. He's telling everybody about the Spirit, but then Jesus says, the Spirit's going to come, who I'm testifying about, and He is going to testify about me. He's going to point to me. I am, as Jesus, I'm pointing to the, to the Spirit. The Spirit is going to point right back to me, the Son. Now, early theologians were like, whoa, what is this unique relationship between the Father, Son, and Spirit? And it goes all the way back to Genesis when we see Elohim, God created, right? In the beginning, God made Elohim is in the plural. What is this unique dance between Father, Son, and Spirit, one and yet multiple persons? What is this? What's in this great statement by Athanasius, who is a, uh, a Greek theologian? And he really paved the way for us to begin to try to wrap our mind around something that is mysterious, ineffable, but yet beautiful. Listen to how he describes the Holy Spirit, Father, and Son. He writes, we worship one God in Trinity, and Trinity in unity. So Trinity is a word that we use to describe this dynamic between the Father, Son, and Spirit. Neither confounding the persons, nor dividing the essence, for there is one person of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. I'm sorry, I missed that. One person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Spirit, but the Godhead of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit is all one. Is that tripping you up? The glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. The Father eternal, the Son eternal, the Holy Spirit eternal. And yet they are not three eternals, but one eternal. Is your head spinning? Come on. Isn't this incredible? Now, so there is one father, not three fathers, one son, not three sons, and one Holy Spirit, not three Holy Spirits. And in this Trinity, get this, I love this part, none is before or after, none is greater or less than the other, but the whole three persons are co-eternal and co-equal. How do you even wrap your mind around that? This is God. This is the majesty and the mystery of God's nature. And it's summed up in these words right here. Three persons, one essence, one mind, one will, one purpose, one God. Now, that's just crazy. And I just got this from children's ministry, so I'll share it with you. You should not be thinking one plus one plus one, Ryan, equals three. So this doesn't work. Uh, because how you would, if you have three persons, then you have... Um, you can't have one God, but if you flip it and you go, no, not one plus one plus one, but one times one, times one, times one, gives you, gives you one. Now, this is just a simple way, and I won't use any metaphors because every metaphor of describing the three in oneness of the Trinity is impossible and comes up short. The point is, the Spirit is God. And so when we think of the Spirit, we should think of the fullness of God in him. The, uh, the Spirit, we see that Jesus is the revelation of the Father. Jesus is also the manifestation of the Son. And everything that we see 
in Jesus, that we love about Jesus, is true of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is God to be worshiped. And so why do we need to talk about the Holy Spirit? Because the Spirit is God. And in talking to the Spirit, we are not diverting ourselves from where our attention should be because we're talking about who God is. Now, the Holy Spirit is God, but it gets even better. And I want to talk about this next part, the fact that the Spirit is personal. Now, if you go back to your passage, look at this. It says, when the advocate comes. Now, that word advocate is where we're taking a step towards God being personal with us. The, let's go to the next slide. The word advocate uh, comes from the Greek. And it means, uh, in the Greek, uh, yeah, there we go. It's parakletos, okay? Now, para means alongside, and kletos means to call. So it means the one who is called to be alongside us, literally meaning God alongside us. And this word is used all throughout the New Testament and has different forms and meanings. It can mean, let's go to the next slide. It can, in the noun form, Jesus, uh, when he picks this word, is capturing all these different nuanced meanings. It can mean comforter, encourager, helper, counselor. I love this one, champion. Could you use a champion to come alongside you, someone to champion you, to support you, to root you on. I think of like, you know, your parents there at your game just shouting your name, cheering for you. This is the Holy Spirit coming alongside you to champion you. Friend. Now, in the verb form, when you see this word parakletos in the verb form, it takes on these translations in different translations of the Bible. Let's read them out loud. You ready? Let's start with the first. Help, comfort, exhort, encourage, cheer up, speak friendly to. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God alongside us to encourage us, to speak to you, to champion you, to guide you, to advocate for you, to support you. I'll give you an illustration. I was walking with a friend who's struggling with early onset dementia. I met at his condo, and we were going to take a walk to Lofty Coffee. It was just like a, a three blocks. So we're walking, and we're just talking. As we're walking, in the middle of our conversation, I just noticed him starting to wind down, like a battery running out in a device. You know, ever heard that in a music player? It starts to slowly unwind. And he's walking with me, he starts getting slower, his motions start to kind of get slower, and he starts to un his voice starts getting softer, and he just starts to kind of shut down. And I can tell where it's going, so I reach out, and I just grab him with both arms. And when I do, he just goes limp like a sack of potatoes, just hanging there with his eyes wide open. And I'm just holding him. And for me to hold him up, because I was feeling the full weight of his body, I had to really pull him close. And we were cheek to cheek. And people are walking by, looking at us, and cars are driving by, and I'm just holding him like this. And I just start to pray for him out loud in his ear. I start to pray for God's healing, God's renewal in his body and his mind. I'm just praying for him and I'm just squeezing him. I'm whispering in his ear. You get that image in your mind. He just starts to wind up again. He starts to kind of 
Ah, oh, thank you. And we started walking. <laughs> then we sat at a coffee shop while he began to tell me about what it felt like to be on the threshold of death and how excited he was to meet Jesus face to face. And he looked at me and he said, Ryan, I am this close. And I gotta tell you right now, it's real. And Jesus is waiting for us. And my hope and my joy only get stronger. I'm gonna miss my family, but I'm so excited to see Jesus. Isn't that incredible? The Holy Spirit is like this presence in our life that comes right alongside us and grabs a hold of us and speaks to us in our innermost part and strengthens and lifts us up. Not an idea, not just a thought, but a presence, a power, a person. Let's go, uh, actually, let me unpack this. The Holy Spirit is God alongside us. The Holy Spirit is not a what or an it. The Holy Spirit is a he and a who. So when it says here in, in uh, this passage, he will testify about me that he is in the Greek, ikanos, and it is a personal pronoun, he. And it's about the fact that the spirit is a personal being, not just an energy or a force or a power like electricity, but the Holy Spirit speaks and communicates the way a person does. So it says, he will testify about me and encourage us, speaking encouragement and truth to cheer us, to convict us, and to guide us. And we're going to have a message in this series where we talk about the voice of the Spirit and how to hear the voice of the Spirit in our life so we can learn to hear the Spirit and cooperate with the Spirit. But look at this list of how personal the Holy Spirit is. The Spirit can be grieved. In other words, the Spirit has emotions. The Spirit makes decisions. Okay, so it has a will, or he has a will. I just slipped right there. Did you catch that? No, you didn't. He has a will, Acts 15, 28. Spirit prays. I don't even think, uh, was it, what's that AI's name again, chat GPT? Whatever that rascal's name is. He can't pray. The spirit prays. Romans 8, 26, the spirit has a mind. The spirit thinks, Romans 8, 27. The spirit is a person. And now here's the thing here. Because the spirit is God and the Spirit is personal, this is the best part. The Spirit is the one who enables us and energizes us to have a personal relationship with God, to know God in a way that leaps off the pages of Scripture. So you're not just reading about God, you are experiencing God. And so when you read about the Bible, the Bible is meant to be a door. Every passage you read about God is meant to be a door, and the Spirit is the one who walks through that door into our life so that we experience the God we read about in our life. Have you ever had a moment where you read about God doing something in the Bible and you wanted to experience God in that way in your own life? The Holy Spirit is the one who mediates the presence of God we read about so that we experience God in our life personally. I want to talk about that. So the Spirit is God, a divine person. The Spirit is personal, not just an energy or a force, but a living person with infinite power and energy to energize our life. But the Spirit brings us into personal relationship 
with God. Check out this scripture, and uh, then I'll describe this to you. Romans 8, 15. The spirit, Paul writes, you receive does not make you slaves. I think sometimes people think when you become a Christian, it's about coming under God's rules and you become a slave to all of God's rules. And that to be a Christian is really, if you want to really just be a hardcore Christian, take all the things that you have that are fun, that bring you joy, that you love, and just stop doing them, and then you'll be a hardcore Christian. And that's just so not true. That when you start to follow Jesus, you don't become a slave. Watch what this passage says here. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit, get this, this is so cool, himself testifies. There's that word, testifies. Remember earlier, the spirit testifies to Jesus. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, this is getting super personal. And I think this is where we get the most discomfort with the Holy Spirit. I remember when I was not yet a Christian, I had a close friend of mine who started to talk to me about Jesus Christ, and I felt uncomfortable. Because I was comfortable with God as a generic, supernatural being, and I was comfortable with God as God. But as soon as God started getting personal, and people started talking about God through the person of Jesus, it was getting too personal for me. And I started getting, I don't know, awkward. And at one point, my friend looks at me and he goes, Ryan, ever notice it's easier for you to drop an F-bomb than it is for you to say the name of Jesus? And I'm like, ooh, good point. Fair enough. It's because Jesus is God stepping towards us in a personal way. And that begins, we begin to feel that. And that is both exciting, it's a little nerve-wracking. Like, it was great dating my wife, but when she moved in, everything changed. And it's like, whoa, this is scary. (laughs) There is a new presence in my life, and I can no longer live as a bachelor. And things start to change. It was exciting and a little scary. The Holy Spirit is that next step of God saying, look, I don't want to just be with you. The Holy Spirit is God in you. Now that is another level. That's another level. Look at this. It says in Galatians 4, 6, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts who calls out, Abba, Father. This is what Paul means when he says here, the spirit you received. To receive the spirit is not to acknowledge or condescend to an idea or a philosophy. It is to become inhabited by a living presence or being. It is like someone moving in to your life. And, and when you receive Jesus Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. Have you received Jesus Christ? The Holy Spirit begins to dwell inside of you. If you have not received Christ, the Spirit is at work in your life much the same way you relate to someone that you're dating, but when, the, when you receive Christ, the Spirit moves in and comes into your heart and begins to dwell in you, and that changes everything. 
this is the presence of God inside of us transforming us from the inside out. And we begin to taste God and experience him in a way that is so different than just reading about God and hearing about God. And I want to talk about that next, okay? So we receive the Spirit. The Spirit begins to live in us and begins to move in our life and starts to transform us from the inside out. We're going to talk about being filled with the Spirit next week and how you can be filled with the Spirit. And you can be filled with the influence and the power of the Spirit with increasing measure. In fact, I'm gonna, we're going to you know, learn next week there's no limit to how much you can be filled with the Spirit. You'll be filled with the Spirit for eternity. And you'll need a new body to contain the overflowing presence of God filling you. Now that's a thought. But verse 16, so the first it's personal because we receive the Spirit within us. The second is this. Verse 16, the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. I want to talk about that word testifies. Let's go to the next slide. To testify, I won't get nerdy on the Greek. It just means to speak, to reveal, to make known, to convince. Now, this is cool. Get this. The Spirit inside of us testifies with who? With who? Who is the Spirit testifying with? Your spirit. I in here. Now, I want to give you an example of what that really is talking about because it's one thing for you to learn about God. It's one thing for you to hear about God's goodness. It's another thing entirely to experience and taste the goodness of God. That's what we're talking about. When the Spirit testifies to your spirit, it is the tasting of God's goodness. It is the movement from learning about God's goodness, learning about his peace, learning about his power, when the Spirit testifies, the Spirit is giving you the taste of his goodness. I'll give you a quick illustration. Last night, I was at this restaurant. I took my wife out on a date. And Nick's at uh, One Paseo. Check it out. They got this amazing hot fudge sundae. It is, at first appearance, it looks trite and oversimplified. It's vanilla ice cream, whipped cream, and some chocolate drizzle. But man, the whipped cream, you guys, it's not out of a can. It's fluffy and is a dessert in its own right. And it sits on top of the vanilla ice cream. And then they drizzle hot fudge. So you get that hot, cold kind of thing that just, woo, I don't know what it is. But just the paradox of the hot, cold, it's like, it's good. And then, driz- and then sprinkled on top of the hot fudge are little crumbles of toffee, butterscotch, I don't know, but it was from heaven, and you put it all together, I just couldn't stop eating it. Now, that sounds good. That sounds good, and as good as that is, without the Holy Spirit, all you can ever know about God is people describing God to you and how good he is. But my friends, that is not why Jesus died on the cross. It was for you to hear from others how good God is, and for it to end at that point. Jesus died on the cross so that you could taste the goodness of God for yourself. And there is no comparison between hearing about me describe that hot fudge sundae and putting your spoon into that dessert from heaven. I remember one time I was so overwhelmed with anxiety I talk about this often, and I hope that it ministers to you, that if you struggle with anxiety, you know that God's peace is even greater. 
Ever felt anxiety or so strongly that it felt physical? Have you ever felt any negative emotion so strongly it became physical? Grief, fear, that it, it, it had your whole body in its grip. I was experiencing anxiety and this thought just came across my mind. If you can experience anxiety that strongly, you can experience my peace that strongly. And I just started to pray and ask God to replace the anxiety with peace. And I just, I just turned on worship music and I don't know, I spent like probably like an hour just singing and worshiping God. And I said, I don't care how I feel, God. I just wanted to just focus on you. And I started worshiping God, asking God to fill me with peace. And as I was worshiping, little by little, I just started to sense the anxiety lifting in that moment over that situation that I was facing. And it was like this weightiness started to follow me. And it was a weightiness that was light at the same time. It was hot and cold. It was weighty, like it was pressing down, but it was light. It made me feel unburdened. And I just started to weep because I felt this lightness and I just started to laugh. I felt so happy. And the laughing just started to bellow laughing. I was just laughing. I mean, I was, you would have thought I was watching the funniest movie on the planet. And I was just rolling in laughter with the joy of the Lord. And it wasn't like my mind stopped working. I wasn't in some trance or some weird state. I was just so happy I was laughing. The Holy Spirit gives us the taste of God's goodness in a way that hearing about it from others only sets us up for. Let me explain the flavor of God's goodness. You ready? I'm going to give you the flavors. Faithfulness, gentleness, generosity, joy, kindness, love. Three more flavors. Peace, Ever had that one? That's a great flavor. Sometimes you just got to get that one all by itself. It's so good by itself. Patience, self-control. And it's not just hearing about God. It's allowing it to become so personal that you experience it for yourself. Do you know God like that? Do you know his presence, his love in a personal way? Not just about it, but have you tasted it? Where in your life do you hunger to taste the goodness of God? Maybe for some of us, it's a pain point in our life where we hunger for God to testify to his goodness to us personally, to reveal, to speak, to minister and manifest the flavor and the taste of God's goodness to us in our places of fear, Maybe it's in a place of doubt or unbelief where you just are struggling to wrap your mind around the reality of God. My friends, it's the Holy Spirit who reveals God to our hearts. And so I want to encourage you over the next six weeks to pray one prayer every time we get together and through the next seven weeks to pray one prayer as often as you can. It's very simple, and you can write it down if you want. It's a very simple prayer, and it's just this Holy Spirit Reveal the goodness of God to my heart. Really simple. Holy Spirit, reveal the goodness of God. And wherever you hunger for the goodness of God, God, Holy Spirit, reveal the peace of God to my heart. Holy Spirit, reveal the truth of God to my heart. Holy Spirit, reveal the joy of God to my heart. 
reveal the wisdom of God, whatever it is, I want you just to really get personal with this and identify where you hunger for the goodness of God. I want to invite the band out. Oh, yeah, check out this. I want to invite the band out, but look at this scripture. Psalm 34, 8. I love the ESV. has this little, oh, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I think some of us have been, as Christians, learning a lot about God, have been hearing about God, but somewhere we stop tasting the goodness of God. Somewhere we lose faith that God is a living presence to be experienced, and he just ends up relegated as this person we learn about, we hear about, we acknowledge here and there, we offer up little occasional prayers, and we don't see him as a hot fudge sundae with toffee sprinkle on top, ready to be tasted in our life. You guys, this next seven weeks, we're going to talk about how the Holy Spirit speaks to us, how the Holy Spirit transforms us, the Holy Spirit fills us, how the Spirit um, heals us, how the Spirit guides us and energizes us with our words to reveal Jesus to other people in our life. And we're going to dive all in. And my hope and prayer is that you will experience a renewing of the goodness of God in your life, not just the knowing of it, but the tasting. And you'll taste for yourself the goodness of God. I had been searching for God in my life for about a year after my friends were telling me about Jesus. And uh, to be honest, I was like, eh, I don't know, it's not for me. I'm not a, a spiritual person. But I could see the joy in my friend's life. And I was kind of getting little splashes of his ice cream sundae. Like it would kind of, the crumbs would kind of spill off over on my side. I'm like, hmm, that's pretty good. Well, maybe I want some of that. Ever do that at dessert? Oh, I don't want any dessert. Oh, I don't need any. Babe, you, you get it for yourself. I don't, I don't, I don't need that. Huh, they look pretty stoked right now. And you, you know, you just, oh, well, you know, a little, little bite. Oh, hey. And pretty soon you're in a full-blown marital crisis because you were eating their ice cream sundae. <laughs> no, you never been there? Come on. My friend's joy was starting to get me hungry. And I remember one night just saying, Jesus, if you're real, then you're gonna have to show yourself to me because just my friend telling me is not enough. And you know what, that's true for you. God doesn't want me telling you to be enough. He wants you to taste his love personally. It says the Holy Spirit testifies to our spirit that we are children of God. that you are a son and daughter of God and loved by God, not as an impersonal being, but as an immediately present and involved father who loves you, who cherishes you, and walks beside you, and at every moment in your life is ready to lift you up and be your champion. Where do you hunger to taste God in your life? Let's go into this song. Atmosphere's changing now. When the spirit. 
Spirit of the Lord is here. The evidence is all around. That the Spirit of the Lord is here. Spirit brings to our hearts the power, the taste, the experience of God's love for us personally. In this terminology in this passage is adoption, that we're adopted. See, not every human being is a child of God. Let me explain. Every human being has their origin in God. You are made in God's image. But being a child of God, it speaks to your relationship with God. As a loving father and presence in your life, an intimate presence that is only possible through his son, Jesus. Through Jesus' death, through his blood, through his resurrection, and through the indwelling spirit who brings the presence of God right inside of us. Listen to this story to kind of illustrate. Um, the Ma's family were called to adopt. They loved adopting. They had 12 children, two biological. Get this. And 10 kids that they adopted. And there was this one kid in particular I just wanted to highlight to you because it illustrates the closeness that the Holy Spirit creates between us and God. When they arrived at the airport to adopt their son, Joshua, they were greeted by a representative of the adoption agency who presented her with Joshua's most recent blood work that suggested she contact her pediatrician before moving forward with the adoption because Joshua had a blood disease that 
well, you know, maybe it's not even worth adopting him because he may not live that long. So you should go see the doctor. What they found was that his hemoglobin was very low. His platelets were very low to the point where they said that he could not travel. And uh, she said to the doctor, there's no way that we're going to leave him here to die because we're already attached to him. He is our son, whether or he was our son, whether he was going to die or not, he deserved a family. And so they were meeting with a doctor and the doctor just looked at her and said, hey, what's your blood type? And right there, she said, as soon as the doctor said that, I knew that I was going to be a match for Joshua's blood. They drew her blood and found that she was a match and she gave her blood for Joshua, who they had not yet adopted. She gave her blood to strengthen him so that she could adopt him and make him her son. And so he received her blood. He started to regain strength and they were able to fly him and they adopted him as her son. And since then, he's been growing stronger. He has, he's not completely free of the disease, but he's been getting better and better. He's grown up. It's been like, I think like eight years since that moment. But listen to this. This is what I want to read to you guys. She said, when we were sitting there with Joshua and we were confronted with the possibility of him dying right there and do we even adopt him? She said, it doesn't matter what's wrong with him because I can't bear to see him die all alone. And so he is going to die with us as his family. And there's something about that story that I wanted to share with you because it just, it touches the heart. You don't even have to be a, a religious Christian person to, to feel the power of that story because in that story is the story of you and God. It is the story as old as time. When we live without the Holy Spirit in our life, we live like an orphan on the streets with no parents, but when the Holy Spirit comes into our life, because Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood, that we might be healed and become a, a dwelling place of the very presence of God, we become family with God. You become a son and a daughter with God. You don't just become a servant of God. You don't just become a church attender or a Christian. You become a daughter of God. You become a son of God because the presence of God now dwells in you and God's love through the Holy Spirit saves you. Saves you. And he saves us. And he brings us into relationship with God, not just because of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago, but because of what he's continuing to do today, right now, in your life through the Holy Spirit. Jesus died 2,000 years ago so that today you could become a son and daughter with God. It's the Holy Spirit that is in this room right now that is ready to lay claim on your life and to make you a son and daughter. Because no matter how successful you are, no matter how good looking, and some of you are pretty good looking, I'm, I'm being honest, some, some real studs in this room. I saw your dad standing up, wow. No matter how good looking or successful or what you possess or what you drive, 
deep down without God, we are all living under the fear that we don't have enough, we haven't done enough, and we are not enough. That is the spirit of an orphan who doesn't know they have a father who loves them and has opened the storehouses of his love and his eternal salvation for them. When you come into God's love, you come into the abundance of your father's love for you as a son and a daughter. And that begins to change your life. Listen, your life begins to overflow like crumbs from a Sunday with the goodness of God. And you don't become a prudish, uptight, religious, I've got it all perfect. You become a whacked out, joyful, loving, so peaceful, you just want to laugh because you can't believe that God could love you the way he does. It's like, you feel like, whoa, me? And if you wanted to know God like that, for some of us, we're Christians, and we just need that renewed. Somewhere you lost touch with God that way. For others of us, you've never experienced God like that. And if you want to know God in that personal way, I just want to invite you wherever you're sitting right now, you just raise your hand. And as you raise your hand, it's your way of owning your desire to taste the goodness of God in your life. It's you saying, you know what? I want to know God's goodness. I, I'm not afraid to admit it. I see you standing, brother. Oh, this guy's just going to stand. You know, some people are just going to stand. But you, you know, some of us just, I'm just saying raise a hand. And you raise a hand. Look, you know, I do this each week because I just want to help you own what's happening in here. That's, all, that's the only reason why I do it. I get nothing of it, although we get joy to see God moving. But it's a way of you owning, God, I want to taste your goodness. I've never tasted your love. I want to know it. There's some area of your life where you cannot taste the goodness of God because the grief is so deep. Or you just have gotten dry, cold with God. You need renewal. Raise your hand. Come on. Come on, put your hand up. Put your hand up high. Come on, let's cheer these guys on. I see you, bro, in the beanie. I got you, bro. Yep, in the back. I see you. I see you. I see you. Come on, get your hands up. All right. We got a prayer team? We got a prayer team? Yeah, I, I see you. Yeah. Okay, come on up. All right. Yeah, Willie. Oh, watch out, everybody. We got Willie coming up. Listen, if you raise your hand before you go, would you do me a favor and let this moment go personal? Let it get personal between you and God today and for the next seven weeks. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to renew our personal relationship with God. And for some of us, to begin a relationship with God we've never had before. So come on up. Let these guys pray for you as we go into this song. And I'll see you outside with my lollipops. God bless you.